Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a brand new interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Peter Berg's film, Deepwater Horizon. Based on a true story, the film brings to life the harrowing occurrences that were set into motion on April 20th, 2010, when the Deepwater Horizon drilling rig exploded in the Gulf of Mexico, killing several crew members and unleashing the worst oil spill in U.S. history. In the aftermath of the explosion, the film follows the heroic efforts of the men and women on board the rig to save their co-workers and themselves. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Berg spoke with director Nick Cassavetes about filming Deepwater Horizon. Listen on for highlights from their conversation, including what Mr. Berg learned at the oil school when researching for his film, the controlled chaos of his cinematography, and his passion for telling true stories. Enjoy. How about that film, huh? I think that we all want to know why there wasn't a lot of action in the film. Uh, you know, I keep, I keep saying that I want to make a love story, you know, like you do. And I just want a boy and a nice girl nice and a bottle of wine in the south of France. And I end up with this or, you know, 200 guys shooting at each other. And uh, one day, you know, if, you, if you help me, I, I would love to just do like... Just take a couple of zeros off the budget. You'll be fine. <sighs> Listen, I, I I don't know what everybody else felt. It's the first time I saw the film, and uh, Pete and I are old friends. And I got to say, I really love the film. So that's the filter you're going to get from me. I really love it. I really love it. And I didn't expect to love it as much as I did. So why don't you start by telling us what attracted you to the material and how you got involved, and uh, just give us kind of a general layout. Um. Well, thank you, first of all. Thank you very much. Um, I think um, what got me hooked was a 60 Minutes piece that I saw about Mike Williams, ma- mainly focused on Mike Williams, the, the character Wahlberg played. <clears throat> and I, like everybody, had obviously heard about the rig uh, blowing out, and I, I knew about the environmental uh, disaster, the oil spill, and I, I knew how much trouble uh, we were having, or they were having, capping that spill. And I remember um, CNN ran; they would have the the oil just gushing in the in the corner of their screen, twenty four seven, and it was like, you know, constant anxiety. Uh, and I, I knew of that story, and then and then I saw the sixty minutes piece, and it it told a different story. It it told a story about. Uh, engineering and, and petroleum work and um, these these men and women who have these pretty incredible jobs and work in this place that I never really thought about and obviously never been. And I I, th- I thought it was an extraordinary story that worked uh, as, you know, as a science 
study, you know, about the engineering of oil, of oil rigs. Uh, I thought it worked um, as an interesting look at, at corporate greed and how big business can, can make bad choices based upon profit, which I think, you know, was clearly part of um, the, the behavior of, of BP and some other companies on that rig. Um, and then it also just worked as a great uh, adventure story and a survival tale. And, and kind of, you know, as you know, making movies, it ain't easy. And when you, when, you know, I think when, when we start out, it's like, shit, I'll make a movie about anything. I'll make a movie about your foot in that water bottle if somebody will give me Not money. Not as good as this one. No. Right. But, but at a certain point, you, you realize that it's, you know, a year and a half, two years of your life. It's a tremendous amount of work and you look for, for reasons. And those three elements all kind of added up. And I was like, yeah, I can, I can get behind this. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, I found myself in the middle of the film going, yeah, this is what like an action film should be like. I mean, it was friggin' relentless. Uh, it was so spectacular that the thought occurred to me in the movie. I was like, I know that there was uh, uh, a concrete test and, and things were gone over from BP and, you know, and an effort to make money, but is that the take what what's like when you make a movie there's a lot of things like and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens what did you want the film's pov to be or what the, what did you want the audience to take away from the film i mean there was i never have one one thing and i always find that that whatever i think an audience is going to take away you know it it never is that like how many times have you been cutting a movie and you think that there, you have a joke and and you play it and, and nobody laughs almost always right? yeah. and then and then suddenly some other random moment becomes a, you know very funny to an audience and so i i've i've given up on trying to to think about you know what what the take what the singular takeaway will ever be but you know one thing that that really stuck with me um when i was doing the research for the movie was i met the the families of the 11 men who were killed and you know i visited with them and when i met them it was it was very uh, the 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 pain that, that, that I, you know, could feel coming off of these families was extraordinary. And it, it, it was a, almost like a double shot because they were dealing with the loss of their husband. These men were all fathers. These children were dealing with the loss of their fathers. Met the parents, you know, who were dealing with the loss of their son. And that, you know, is, is obviously very intense grief. Um, and I felt that. But then I realized that there was almost like a compounded grief that all these families were going through. And that was this kind of secret shame they were living in because when people heard that their son was, was killed or their father was killed on the rig, the attitude was, well, yeah, he caused that oil spill. So maybe he kind of got what he deserved, right? Wow. And when I f realized that that was this kind of shame and this secret that there's, these, these families were living with when in reality those 11 men who died uh, could have gotten off the rig. They could have just run and gotten in the lifeboats and gotten off. They actually, you know, not only didn't cause that, that spill, had absolutely nothing to do with that spill, but they died working at their stations trying to prevent the oil from spilling, trying to prevent that riser from snapping. And when I, when I heard that, that, that pissed me off, you know, that got me going, that, um, fired me up and I think you know when I when I 
told those families and, and Mark Wahlberg told me, cause Mark was right there with me that we wanted to, you know, and, and these were families who felt that, um, their, the death of their loved one was completely overshadowed by the environmental issues, by the dead birds. And, and they, we told them that we wanted to make a film that if anything pushed back a little bit and hopefully a lot of people go see it and think about, you know, the kind of human beings that worked on that rig and, and certainly, uh, think about, think twice before vilifying everyone who was a part of that. Yeah. And in a great many sense, this film is about a film about 11 people who died and he got to know them. I mean, it was laid out expertly. Uh, you take your time. I'm sure a lot of people have told you this, uh, on the film, I felt like I got to know the people. Uh, let me ask you just a weird question, because this was something that I thought of. We'll get into some more technical stuff, but do you think if do you think if they hadn't cut corners that this still would have happened, or this was like something that would inevitably happen on one of these things, or do you think it was just these people who were negligent? I mean, um, you know, we we went to 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 oil school for about a month before the film started shooting and we tried to learn as much about um you know how these rigs work uh and and then started to get as deep as we could into to what happened and these are really smart guys you know these are like mit dudes and and they speak a very complex language and <clears throat> the more I would sit in these classrooms and learn about negative pressure tests and kill lines and blowout preventers and annulars and all kinds of crazy things, uh, the more dense and confusing it, it became. And, you know, I watched the, <clears throat> the, the congressional hearings, <clears throat> excuse me, on the, uh, on, uh, on the blowout. And there was a, a very intense, uh, and exhaustive Coast Guard hearing. I watched all that. And my, my goal was to kind of reduce the science down to a level that I could understand. Yeah. Basically, there's a load of pressure and almost like a nuclear bomb under the Earth's core deep. And we go in there and stick up a, a straw in it and try and keep it from blowing out. That's the, the, the over, oversimplified version of it. But, then, then it became a real sort of like quest for all of us to try and figure out, well, you know, why did it happen? And, you know, what went wrong? And to, to your question, you know, was it fate? Was it, was it preventable? And, you know, we found that if, if you asked 40 different engineers why the deep water rig blew out, you, you would get more or less 40 different answers. Um, but it all, everything always came back to one thing. And that was this cement bond log. And, Everybody agreed that, I mean, I'm sure if there was a, is anybody here from BP right now? <laughs> I'm always a little nervous, but I mean, I'm sure if there was someone here from BP, they would, they would have something to say slightly contradictory to this, but pretty much everyone agrees that when, when you, um, are, are ready to start pumping oil that you've got to pour a tremendous amount of concrete. And it's so crazy, the technology, because you're going a mile down, to the bottom of the ocean and then two or three miles into the earth's core. And in the case of deep water, it was the deepest that we've ever gone into the center of the earth. So if you, you don't want to get, you know, biblical or anything, you know, if there is a hell down there, we were not going to mess around. Yeah. We were knocking on the door of it. Right. And when you go down there, you pour tons of concrete or cement as they call it. And that forms a, a protective barrier to help that oil from all blowing out. And, before you can declare that cement properly poured, you have to do a test, and that test is the cement bond log, which you heard him talking about in the film. 
And basically, it's like sending sonar signals down into the deep, and, and, and you're like knocking, like to see if it sounds good, to see if the pour was solid. And that test cost about $200,000. And the BP executive, the, the company men on the rig, didn't want to pay that 200 grand. So they sent them home and they didn't do the test. And it's, it's my thinking and, and, you know, mo most of the creative team of the film that they, they don't want to spend the 200,000 and they ended up spending six, 60.5 billion for that, save that 200 grand. But the main, it, it wasn't just they wanted to save the 200. It was they didn't want to know. You know, if, if they had found out there was bad news or it wasn't a good pour, that it would have had to rip it out and re-pour and that, that would have gotten into tens of millions of dollars. So it's that, that line in the movie where Kurt Russell says, you know, that reminds him of his daddy or his grandpa who would never go to the dentist, you know. And I've done that. I don't know if anyone else, like if my tooth hurts, I'll just pretend that it's not hurting because I don't want to know. And, you know, hopefully it'll just go away. And other times it's root canal. And, uh, in the case of, so, I believe if they had really checked the cement properly and not cut that corner, that that's what led to. Well, whether it was that or it was a con you know a, a lot of different factors, mm -hmm. it was very effective in the film. You got it. You're like, oh, they're cutting corners. <laughs> and by the way, as filmmakers, we both know what 43 days behind means. Well, yeah, yeah. and that's I mean, that, you know, and and, and you know, that was the other thing. Like, you know, I, I always felt that in some ways th this movie <clears throat> sheds a certain positive light on BP. <clears throat> which we can relate to. I mean, BP is a, a company for profit. <clears throat> They're in the business of making money. If if Nick and I, if we're on a film set, and we're 40 days behind, we're, we're done, you know? And <clears throat> we're going to have guys like Malkovich coming and making our lives. How wonderful was he, by the way? Oh, he's the You best. forget because he doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, how wonderful was he? He's you know? such a great guy, you know? And, and to... Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because to have Kurt Russell and, uh, and John Malkovich, uh, working on, to, you know, that we, we forget sometimes because, you know, young actors today and the day of, uh, days of social media and instant fame and everybody wants to be famous, uh, the, the craft of acting does get, you know, sometimes lost. And, um, I had never worked with actors as, as good as Malkovich and Kurt Russell, and, and particularly because they really loved their roles and they got it. I think you're a little bit humble. I mean, I was thinking that too. Like, for a guy who makes a movie about shit that blows up, man, are you good with actors? Yeah. I mean, you know, actor can, I mean, I know from personal experience, an actor can only be as good as the environment and the amount of time you let and the amount of believability you allow him to 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 generate and it's a series of permission givings with actors yeah. that you know it's okay take your time we're going to be here for that because otherwise they get scared they think their part's going to be you know it's mm -hmm. an action movie and they're just going to cut away and lose all the good stuff mm -hmm. but i mean i gotta tell you man if i was an actor and i believe me i'm not i have 40 films to prove it you know i'd want to work with a guy like you because it was it was it was real real authentic <clears throat> uh let me ask you another question um what is this thing you have about working on true life stuff? Uh, like uh, you always are doing stories about like something yeah. really happened. You don't want to write. You don't want to make anything up. I mean, and this goes back to kind of like you know, 
the reality of, you know, we're not kids anymore. We're both fortunate <clears throat> to be able to make movies. And, you know, I, I think every, every director at, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm sure there's some many, many DGA card carry members here. At the end of the day, you want to direct a movie. You're going to be getting up really early. You're going to be screaming all day long, frustrated, anxious, angry, confused, uh, nervous, triumphant. You're going to run a schizophrenic array of emotions and you're going to go to bed exhausted. You're probably going to develop multiple drinking problems. Your, your relationships are going to all fall apart. And that's pre-production. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's just awful. It's an awful, awful way to make a living in so many ways that if, if, if you don't find, uh, I don't mean that it's awful. That's a, that's, that's not true. But it's hard. And for me, you know, look, I know guys that just, they get up and they want Iron Man and they want to direct Iron Man and they want CG superheroes flying around and that's what they want and that's what gets them going. And, you know, I'm, I applaud that if that's what gets them going. I found for me, and, you know, I grew up, my dad was a big believer that nonfiction was the only legitimate form of literature and he, you know, read history books and was a, a war historian and impressed upon me heavily the power of 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 nonfiction and of real stories and for me if it you know when i did friday night lights and i got to live with a high school football team and really meet those those individuals and go deeply into that culture uh and 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 transcend this, the 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 superficial you know immediate pre presentation of you know it's a football story and realize that no this is life for these people and i get to have those people with me um while i was working um and i did the kingdom there were fbi agents who had gone and investigated a brutal crime in Saudi Arabia and I got to meet with those people and Lone Survivor to meet with the 19 family members of the SEALs who were killed and have Marcus Luttrell who I, I think you might have met at, at the, with Tiara at some point to have that that power that emotion of you know the the mothers whose sons were killed in Afghanistan to be with those those families and in the case of this one to meet with Mike Williams and meet with those family members that that just puts a pressure on me that fires me up and makes me want to get up earlier makes me want to work a bit harder and it scream a bit more scream well, I, I don't scream as much as i do but maybe have uh, nasty looks <laughs> like longer lingering nasty looks if i'm mad because it hurts my voice well, we're lucky that, that that you like that stuff i think all of us are lucky i mean it was just a pleasure to watch this thing. thank you so Enough of all the nice stuff. Now let's get into the let's let's get it. Let's just get into like you want the dirt. No, I want. I don't. I want to know how you did this damn thing. You know, I do. I do movies where two people sit around and talk about how they feel. How did you? I mean, okay. First of all, how did you pick your DP? Because he had a distinct style, a lot of handheld stuff, a lot of real tight, uh, a lot of real tight stuff. And uh, what did you? How did, how did you meet this guy? Did they give him to you? Was he on the film? Yeah, what, it was. Um, he was already on the film. Um, Enrique was on the film, um, and he had a, a different style of working. You know, um, I've I've told Nick this, but my my inspiration is is your father. You know, he was one of um, the first filmmakers that spoke to me and and 
I don't know when I when I saw I think Woman Under the Influence I felt like I was I didn't know what I was watching and I felt like there was a, a, a recklessness and a rawness um, and a handheld quality um, and that anything could happen at any time and um, uh, I I somehow that that style of filmmaking um, is what what always kind of inspired me and and even if it's a big a big budget you know, film like this or on Lone Survivor or any of the films I've done, I shoot 99% of them handheld. We shoot 11 to 1 lenses usually so that the operators are, um, you know, strong. Those are big zoom lenses. Um, we improvise a tremendous amount. We don't cut. We go again and again and you again. Yeah. The cameraman will adjust, make adjustments on the fly. They'll move. If, if an actor wants to go over there, Enrique will light for over there. Mm -hmm. You know, if an actor wants to go over there in the same scene, Enrique might start screaming, but he'll run out and put lights out there. And you it's, shoot multi-camera or one? Yeah, three cameras three camera. the whole time. Um, and it's, you know, it's when I was an actor um, on Chicago Hope, it was a really hor horrific experience. You were wonderful, by <laughs> well, the way. You were you, wonderful, the, wonderful the, on the, Chicago Hope, Hope, ladies and gentlemen. The the problem, see, when you do a TV show like Chicago Hope, we would have, we would have twenty six different directors coming in, and there there were two. Oh boy, they were like they they all they almost exclusively would really frustrate me and annoy me because there were two types. You know, there were there were the older directors who were you know, maybe a bit frustrated that they were doing a TV series because they were featured directors and they wouldn't be doing it. So they would come in and they would lay out these, you know, for four hours set up these techno shots with steady cams and cranes and this and that. And they, you know, when we spend four hours, five hours lighting and then as actors, we'd get three takes, you know, and, yeah. and we'll be like, whoa. And it'd be like, you know, they, they were determined to get back to feature glory. And they would drive us crazy. And then the, the worst were the film school students. You see, cause there would always be like one or two SC or AFI students who got to, and they would come in with storyboards and plans and they were designing shots and they would take 10 hours and we would get one take. And we would just sit there and just like go crazy. And I kind of felt like, um, and then, and then there was a, a few directors. There was a great director, Kenny Ortega. I don't know if you know Kenny, who he was the one who would say, "This is all bullshit, man. We should be having fun, and we shouldn't be so precious, and we should be looser, and we should just see what happens." And I love Kenny Ortega, and he was very inspirational. And there was another director, Bill D'Elia, who. Uh, whose son is Crystal, a really great stand-up comic, and Bill helped me a lot. And Bill had a much looser attitude about the whole thing, saying, you know, this should be fun, and there should be accidents, and we should be able to make discoveries and not kind of preload everything so that, you know, if I'm the director and I'm, you're going to sit in that chair and you're going to say your two lines, you're going to get up and you're going to walk over there, and that's how it's going to be. You might want, you might have something to say and I should listen. And so even in a film like this, um, we try and Enrique was really great about kind of getting into my program. You know, there's no dolly tracks. There's no cranes. Um, there's no marks. There's, there's, it's a pretty wild process. It's a cool thing about a camera. They both tilt and pan. Yeah. You know? Well, a handheld can go anywhere. <laughs> but um, I have really good handheld operators who, are, who I know very well, and they kind of move around like 
like uh, attack fighter jets and one will move and one will slide over and one will come in and we tend to work quickly and um it's it's pr pretty uh it's controlled chaos i'm getting a five minute sign i gotta get a couple of these questions in because i want to know i don't care if anybody else does all right what part of the rig is cg and what part is real how did you do that shit? Well, I, I generally don't like to tell yeah, people. Yeah, you got to give. Well, come on, this, like this is your. Away. These are your colleagues. You come guys on, like to know that stuff. Huh? Yeah, I'm gonna give us a, a rough example because well, it look, so, all looks so good. So we built uh, a really big, giant piece of a rig uh, in a parking lot of a, a Six Flags and outside of New Orleans that was wiped out in Katrina, and we built. I, I think it's one of the biggest sets ever built. You know, and it, when I got there, and they they, were, they had already had plans to build it, and it was it was extraordinary. You came in late. Uh, I came in a, a little late. You know, there oh. were, that, that's a whole other story. Creative yes. differences and all that. All that. Yeah, but yeah. they had a plan, and it was an interesting plan. And we had a, a massive set that was six stories high. And the first thing I thought about when I saw it is, well, okay, it's really cool, but you know, I can see how this is going to go. We're going to get everybody up there and three hundred people and. And and we're going to be all ready to shoot, and we're going to have all these bombs and all this mud. And, and you know, Mark Wahlberg's going to say, "I got to take a piss," and that means you got to go down six stories, got to go to the bathroom, and he's going to get into his trailer, and it's 130 degrees in there, and you know, and there's alligators, and he's going to take some of his clothes off, and he's going to get on the phone with his wife, and they're going to start talking, and it's going to be two hours every time someone has to go to the bathroom. Um, so we kind of ripped some of that apart and built some of that um, on, on the ground. So we had one big piece of the set. We had two or three little pieces. And then we had ILM, you know, and if you've ever worked with ILM, <clears throat> they're, they're amazing, you know, and so much of what, everything underwater was CG. Yeah. Um, those big fireballs, you know, the problem with fire is that it's really hot. Yeah. And you can't, Dangerous you, too. yeah, you can't light, you know, your actors on fire and you can't light your crew on fire. So we, we had a, we had, we had a, um, a, a complex, uh, balance of, of real stuff of st that was on the big rig, real stuff that was on smaller rigs. And how does that get presented to you? Do you go in there and say, now you're going to do this and you're going to do this and I, I want it to look like this? Or do they come and present that to you and you'd say, I like two better than three? Um, you know, some of, so we do a lot of previs, you know, for like, you know, Mark, Mark Wahlberg jumping off that rig at the end, then Gene and Mark, that, that was a very complicated series of shots that required, you know, six different locations and stuntmen and real actors wow. and water tanks and, um, decelerating rigs and cameramen being thrown off the rig with cameras. And you basically have a plan and, and you, you, you pre-visit, which is, you know, uh, an animated version of the shot. And then you sit and have these meetings that, that go on for hours and they're it's exciting, like, exciting, aren't they? Oh my God. Yeah, they're really exciting. <laughs> soul crushing, but it's like, okay, Nick, you're going to do this and you're going to do this and you're going to do this and you're going to do this. Right. And they're like, yep. And then it's all going to work. Right. Yep. And, and then, and then you see these pieces of it and it just looks awful. And you know, you go home and, that's when the drinking problem starts and you, you know, you, you, you swear at everyone and you feel like it's never going to work and, and it looks horrible. How yeah. was the, how was the first cut out of the first, the first horrible, pass? Horrible, horrible, like, like suicidal, you throw up and it makes no sense and, you know, you want to kill, especially yeah. the ILM folks. Is there anybody here from ILM? 
Like, they just walk. Well, I mean, I, ILM is like, they're so talented, but they're like, you know, they're, they speak a language that, you know, and they might as well be speaking Mandarin Chinese. You know, everything costs $42,000, no matter what. So it's like, can we add a little smoke? Yeah, it'd be 42000 Can we Can we blow up the whole rig? Yeah, it'd be 42000 Can Can we, you know, take Mark Wahlberg and turn him into a dragon? Yeah, sure, that's 42000 And And they just look at you, and they're very, very condescending in a loving way. And I, I love ILM. Condescending but, in a loving way, by just, the way. That's a they good know question. they're so much smarter than you, you know? And I'm like... I mean, I remember at one point I got in a fight with one. I go, listen, I made a decision to choose a career where I did not have to be intelligent. And you're disrespecting my choice, right? You're, you're in, but, but somehow, and, and, you know, they're the best, it all comes together. And it always costs a lot more than $42,000. But it does come together. And, you know, I remember the first screening that, that, um, they were ready to say, okay, this is, you know, this, we're presenting you what we think is, you know, a, a close approximation to what, and we sat there, and my editor, Colby Parker, and we were just blown away, you know, that the effects here, I think, are really good, um, and it's a, it becomes this marrying of five or six different departments that you have to referee um, as a director, <clears throat> but fundamentally, you just have to, you know, have faith that you've hired people that really get it and know what they're doing. Look great. A lot of people slamming into stuff. It was the, no, I mean, it was, I mean, it, it, does it ever, does it seem weird to you, like, that the best special effects are in, like, Jurassic Park for, like, 98 years ago? I mean, this, I, I liked it. The, the, the movie seemed really mechanical and in camera. Uh, I just say one thing. I met this guy a long time ago before it was right before you were about to direct your first film, the one the a, a long time ago. He asked very me, bad things. Yeah, very bad things. He asked me to do something and I was busy and I would regretted that. But it really is great to see like a lot of people go to see actors work. Hey, Denzel's in this movie, I'm gonna go see it. I do that too, but I also like to see progression of filmmakers and it, it's a really mature film and really good to see you grow as a filmmaker like this a really really a big accomplishment uh so it was a real treat for me to be able to to look at the film and and see it with like 150 of my best friends uh really really congratulations a great film Thank you. Yeah. we don't want to talk anymore all right one minute. All right, go ahead, Pete. Anything else? What else do you want to say about the film? I don't know. Is there, I'll take a couple of questions if anyone has a question. Yeah. Well, the the little girl you're talking about, the Coke can and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, it, that that really came from, the, the science is so complex. I mean, it really is. Like, we sat with 10 uh, petroleum engineers, and they sat me down, and you talk about painful, and they started explaining to me how these rigs work. <laughs> I mean, in, you know, I'm reasonably intelligent. I did okay in college. You know, I fancy myself as someone that can, you know, basically take a complex sitch and say, like, just, you know, explain it to me like I'm, you know, 15 years old. And I found that that didn't work. They'd been explaining to me like I was 15. I couldn't understand any of it. So finally, I was like, oh, explain it to me like I'm a nine-year-old girl. And they were like, okay, and that's what, and I really felt that um, 
the, I, I wanted I wanted the audience to to have enough of an understanding. I wanted you guys to be able to say, okay, I might not understand exactly what these people are talking about, but I get it. I get that Kurt Russell and John Malkovich are disagreeing about the results of a test. I might not know. So, you know, but I understand that the consequences of that are serious. And I felt that, you know, we came up with that whole scene late uh in, in, in right before we started shooting we really just was like we need to have a young, a little kid explain to us in in fairly you know pedestrian language how this thing works um and then i felt if if i if i then was able to you know then literally land the audience on that rig and let the conversation start getting more technical you might not totally get it but you you you'd get enough and and i also believe that it's like Audiences, you you want to be smart. People like to. Nobody walks around going, "Yeah, I'm stupid. I'm just, I'm just a dumbass. I can't understand nothing." You know, you want to understand. So you're trying to understand the science, and it was a challenge to figure out, you know, how much how much we could ask an audience to 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 accept versus how much we felt we had to to explain. Because it really is some dense science. Well, I mean, the whole the whole thing. I mean, because there were so many different parts of it, you know, I mean, like, you know, like, look, some of the big wide shots, the fireballs, you know, that's literally all ILM. I mean, I'm just, we talk about, give me a wide shot of the rig exploding and make it really, really hard, you know, really, you know, in today's world of explosions, you want to capture someone with a fireball, you, you've got to earn that. So that, that would just be sending that up to San Francisco and waiting for it. But, um, the, 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 the details of the action and, and, you know, the challenge with this kind of action as a director is if, if you get so caught up in the scope and just think that people running around and screaming and fireballs and things breaking, you, you, you is going to get it done. You're going to, I think, be emotionally shortchanging an audience. So trying to keep those characters and make specific goals, you know, literally we got to get this guy's leg out of this stuck piece of steel before the, and turn that into an event in a sequence. Um, it, it took a fair amount of time, but, um, you know, I really like filming that kind of action, character based action. Um, and so, you know, we, we attack it aggressively. Um, it doesn't, you know, we shot the whole film in I think 60 days, which is quick. Um, so we work fast. We, you know, I, I don't really like to be on film sets, so I like to get in and get out as quick as I can. Uh, okay, like two more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like, um, I mean, and I, like, I'm not kidding when I say, like, you know, John, John Cassavetes is my favorite director, and he would improvise, I believe, quite a bit. Um, or if he didn't, it felt like he did. And I love improvisation, you know, and like there was a scene where um, Malkovich and goes and, and visits with Wahlberg and they talk about noodling for catfish. We made that scene up at lunch and shot it right afterwards, you know, just made it up. Um, I like to I like to stand very close to it and throw ideas out. And, you know, I told one of those actors to start singing money. You know, I thought that was an interesting way without being too on the nose and talking about, you know, obviously there was a lot of greed that was driving that that ship and and, and that and and um in Friday Night Lights, you know, we we're pretty public about it. We 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 love our writers, we respect our writers, we shoot the script, but we also improvise uh as much as we can. Yeah, I mean I think um 
you know, I love Backdraft and I love Kurt Russell in that film. And that's when I was still acting and I wanted to play Billy Baldwin's role. And I was pissed off that he got that part. <laughs> really wanted that part. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I looked at Backdraft and which was so cutting edge, you know, at the, at the time it was made. And, um, but they were limited. They didn't have the, the ILM wasn't capable of working with fire the way they are now. And, and so if you, if you watch it, um, the, the fire, they would have to, you know, put a fire pot over here and a fire pot over there and kind of move around it because they couldn't, they couldn't bring that CG element. They couldn't bring burning embers and debris and, and, and heat vectors and all that kind of stuff that, that, um, you know, we benefited from, I don't know when backdraft was, 20 years, 20 years ago, right? Something like that. The, the, the ILM has just progressed and it's a great, that's where having a great effects, um, team can say, okay, well, backdrafted a lot of stuff. Great, but we can now take it further and try and make it feel like it's a more of an immersive experience. So thank you to this great gentleman for doing this thank on a you. Saturday. Man, great film. Great film. Thanks for coming out, guys. Thank you guys for coming out, too. Thanks for listening to this DGA Q&A. You can watch more discussions like this on our website or our YouTube channel. Also on our website, you can explore our visual history program with long-form oral history interviews that delve deep into the careers of veteran DGA members. Check out the program at dga.org slash craft slash visual history and if you haven't already please subscribe to the director's cut on itunes google play music stitcher or our soundcloud page so you won't miss an episode and if you're enjoying the podcast please leave us a review we'd love to hear your feedback thanks for listening and have a great week This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.